we, we want to build this collective minds, these collective forces around us to tackle those challenges as a team, as a pack, rather than you know a single corporate on a single balance sheet with a single perspective on the world. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. This is the captain speaking. Uh, just about ready to depart. We should be away on schedule in the next couple of minutes or so. A little tip for you, when you sit on the aisle seat of an airplane, in coach anyway, if you're on a Boeing aircraft like a Dreamliner or the world's most popular airliner, the 737, there's a recessed button under the aisle armrest about halfway down. Underneath, you stick your finger in the hole, trust me on this one, and depress that button and the whole armrest, normally locked, will swing up. It gives you a few more inches. On Airbus, Boeing's main competitor, that button is more like a slider, and it tends to be located near the hinge. That's today's travel tip from me as I talk to Airbus Ventures' Domant Delimont. What makes you happy when you, fl- when you board an Airbus airliner? What do you point to in pride? Well, in general, when I get to an aircraft, I, I often look at, at the, the joy and the happiness in in kids' eyes, right? You look at them; they, they're always excited. Flying, flying is 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 a great experience. Airbus Ventures is corporate venture capital, and indeed, we've run into this before on this podcast with other organizations. Capital G and Google Ventures are the venture capital arms for Alphabet. Salesforce, even JetBlue, have their own venture capital firms. Airbus Ventures is a bit different in structure. In, in what way? So, indeed, it's, it's a bit different because uh, in, in the story of our own journey of venture capital, we've activated, I would say, uh, a new stage in the notion of autonomy and independence of our venture practice by welcoming external capital to our fund, which I think is not the, the model we see traditionally in the corporate venture world. So that's the, really the main the main aspect of difference. Otherwise, we do carry a, a, the brand Airbus, and we're very proud of that. And we can come back to the connection to what we call the mothership. 
um, and how we leverage that. But but in in general, I think we like to see ourselves as modeled uh, after the, the pure VC firm, um, and and having the same at the core the same sense of financial discipline. And, and governance structure and organization, as well as execution means. Uh, I mean, legal and, and, and banking. Well, I guess I can think of two ways of handling, you know, corporate venture capital. One would be that you are out there investing in companies that would make your parent company uh, better. And, and JetBlue Ventures does that. You know, they invest in, in, in food companies and uh, uh, luggage companies and those sorts of things that have a natural fit with JetBlue. The other way you could do it is just simply make a lot of money for your company and invest in things that had nothing to do with the core business of aviation. Uh, which, which are you? What side of the fence are you falling on there? So we're sitting right in the middle. And, and I know this is not a traditional category. It has been a, a conversation here in Silicon Valley that you have to choose. It's either all. Um, you, you choose to be financially driven, as you said, or, or the word use is you want to be strategic, right? So you want to be strategic for your mothership. Uh, we, we truly believe there is a blended category, for sure a new category of investor that can try to both have this financial discipline at the core. So we're here to make money. The, the alignment of interests, the, 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 the incentives, everything is designed like the pure play VC. But at the same time, um, I don't like the word strategic. <clears throat> Sorry, I like the word relevance. We want to be relevant, relevant for the industry. Uh, being strategic means a lot, means you, you can have already see the intersection. You, you see almost the acquisition in the making. And, and I think for too long, corporate venture have seen themselves as kind of down payments on M&A rather than right. pure VC play. And I think that's what we do. Uh, that, that we don't do this down payment. We don't promise uh, acquisition by the mothership. Um, we certainly uh, want to make sure we create the bridges, the access. So we don't promise the outcome. We always promise the access and the bridging and the facilitation to the industry. We'll talk more about some of your investments, but can you give me an example of the, the investment that is the farthest away from building airplanes there is? So, yes, in the portfolio, I mean, if you think about back in 2016, even the world of quantum computing, um, that wasn't the priority of the industry. Absolutely not. Right. The, the, it's, and for a lot of people, quantum computing, both hardware and software, were kind of science fiction by, back in 2016. But for us, the intersection to aerospace, as much as to automotive and banking and, and many vertical uh, was was very much uh, in the making. So that's one example. One of the latest investment we've made about DNA computing and DNA storage, uh, also very difficult to see the connection. But we always kind of, in a very creative way, uh, find relevance. Um, and it doesn't have to be short term. It doesn't have to be the day after the investment. It could be years after. Uh, but we also have a lot of uh, companies in the portfolio that address as a primary objective and primary vertical, the automotive sector. And it's a case in the autonomy, in the sensor, in the software, the ELP world, um, company like Techion, for instance, addressing end-to-end uh, automotive retail platform, uh, completely cloud native, doesn't, doesn't strike to be the measured aerospace application, right? So hopefully those examples give you a sense that we have what we call this freedom of operation. We are, we are an autonomous exploration pod. And, and we're very proud of our origin. I mean, this DNA, this connection back to Airbus, but at the same time, we, we're not tied to some sort of shopping list that was given by the immediate need of the aerospace industry, 
Airbus invests its money, but also you've Fund 3 raised money from uh, Mitsubishi and the Development Bank of Japan and others. I, I, Airbus is very interested, both Airbus and Airbus Ventures, in, in Asia. So, yes, as you said, it, uh, we recently welcome in our uh, third fund, fund we call the Fund Z, and we may come back about this this letter Z and the Z axis, the Z space. But we welcome in Fund Z the Development Bank of Japan, Mitsubishi Lees, and, and Fuyo Group, uh, very much on the basis of this notion of it of in, of collective minds and collective intelligence to address, I would say, beyond an aerospace problems and beyond an aerospace challenges. Uh, we we certainly see Asia extremely active in areas like AI and robotics. Uh, we see them uh, with also a space, a very clear space uh, agenda and space ambition. And, and we back to the principle of we, we want to build this collective minds, these collective forces around us to tackle those challenges as a team, as a pack, rather than you know, a single corporate on a single balance sheet with a single perspective on the world. So that's, I would say, back very much to the legacy of Airbus itself. At the roots of this company is actually a collection of companies and, and different minds from different culture, the German, the French, Spanish. I mean, there's a lot of convergence into, into the, 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 the true heart of Airbus at, at the core. And I think we inherited that and we're applying to the world of venture capital. You mentioned uh, the Airbus, the, the I guess I want to be clear that there's, you know, Airbus Ventures and then there's Airbus and, and, and you worked for Airbus, correct? But, but don't currently. Uh, I, I want to keep the two separate. Is, is that a, a good understanding? It's, it's a perfect understanding, okay. Scott. And thanks for making the difference because the shortcut of, oh, you Airbus guys. Right, well, sure. No, that is, makes sense. Is not the truth. I did spend time on the shop floor. I grew up inside the, the, the mothership itself. I learned how the product were built. I spent a lot of time building relationship. But what we do on the venture side is really sitting on the GP side while Airbus as an LP is contributing to the fund alongside the Japanese partners and, and more to come. Um, so with that in mind, it, it just speaking of Airbus, the airline maker, realizing that that you don't work for Airbus specifically, it is rather astounding looking back over the decades, had you said that several different countries would be involved in a collaboration to build an airplane. Sounds like the worst way to build an airplane. And it's turned out to be, you know, the major competitor to Boeing and, and one of the world's most popular airplane makers. That, that's true. When you think about the complexity of an aircraft, you, you would think that controlling every aspect of it within a single culture would seem to be the easiest or the path of least resistance, right? But as a matter of fact, I think here we're addressing uh, the, the, the notion of complexity uh, at, at its core. When you face complex issues and complex problems, the, the interaction amongst truly diverse agents, and I'm talking about true interaction, not dispute, not, not attack, truly collaboration, sharing of ideas, challenging each other in a way that you come up with the best of the best ideas and solution and design principle and forces, well, make you achieve things that are uh, incredible. And, and I think that is the story of Airbus. At the very beginning, he wasn't taken seriously. And, and they would not be in a position to challenge the Douglas and the Lockheed and the Boeing of the world. They ultimately did by gathering these collective minds that, that we are so 
interested by and, and, and I grew up in that world. And indeed, uh, when you achieve that true interaction, that's, that true collective intelligence, that's the type of things we can come up with. So you invested in Konica, which sounds like it's Japanese, but it's based in the Bay Area. It means immortal in Nigerian. What they're doing is absolutely bananas. Wet chips, neurons, real brains on top of silicon. <laughs> yes, for sure. So Konica was an investment, uh, an early investment of our fund too. And, and basically, this is the intersection between biological cells that are genetically modified and silicon. So kind of the world of wetware, where you actually end up with a biosensor capable of, of detecting VOCs, so compound in the air, uh, in, the, in very much the same way a dog would actually sniff and detect uh, explosive or other, other compound. But, but it, it's not a digital nose, right? It's not trying to mimic some sort of you know, behavior. It's truly the engineering of what nature has done at its core and given as a gift to the dog. And, and Airbus entered into, so Airbus, the mothership, once uh, we've done the investment, also entered into you know, a, a, a project with this company, trying to assess uh, how much of that could address the notion of safety and trust in air travel. Uh, so through a very strict sequence of testing and development, they've been, they've been testing the capability of those sensors and the promise uh, at the core of Kodiku, which is literally to be this device that, that bring back confidence and trust. And obviously the parallel is to be made between explosive and COVID-19. And you've seen a few airports, Helsinki amongst, amongst few, using dogs actually to detect COVID-19. So there is, there's a direct connection between the capability of the Kodi Core, uh, which is a device put together by, by the company, and, and this great challenge that we're facing uh, with COVID-19 right now. So the company entered into clinical trial three weeks ago. Of course, it's still an early stage company. There's a lot to do to support and help, but, but this is a great signal and, and a signal of hope uh, for a lot of us that technology and biology can actually be the answer of some of the greatest problem we face. So whose neurons, though? Who or what is supplying the actual brains? So um, I think for respect of the patent and the kind of the, 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 the core of the company, I, I, I won't get into the details of how they've been able to engineer, but you have to think about being able to build receptor, truly uh, physical and molecule receptor to a particular compound, particular molecule. So this ligand that you're actually building, this couple, this library, is something you truly genetically modified and engineered from, from living cell at the very core. Now, which one do you, do you use as, as a support, the underlying element? It's kind of, a, that's a secret source of the company, and that's where you make the difference. VR training platforms, like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International, are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu.
edu slash podcast. Another investment, IonQ, does quantum computing. One of my favorite explanations of what quantum computing is comes from Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada. He was challenged by a reporter to explain it at a press conference, the reporter assuming he couldn't possibly know what it was. And that reporter learned never underestimate the Prime Minister of Canada. So here with an explanation of quantum computing is Justin Trudeau. Normal computers work, uh, either there's power going through a wire or not. It's one or a zero. They're binary systems. Uh, what quantum states allow for is much more complex information to be encoded into a single bit. A regular computer bit is either a one or a zero, on or off. A quantum state can be much more complex than that because, as we know, uh, things can be both particle and wave at the same time, and the uncertainty around quantum uh, states uh, allows us to encode more information into a much uh, smaller computer. So uh, that's what's exciting about quantum computing, and that's what we're doing. A world leader with a solid grasp of science. All right, back to the interviewer. Here's Tuma, who, as you might imagine, also understands quantum computing. And what it means, it means not just zero and one, but also the superposition of those states. In very basic terms, it, it increases your ability to solve problems. The speed is the name of the game here, and also the level of complexity. Uh, and if you take an aircraft, for instance, Right? You, you will be able, if you want to simulate the behavior of the aircraft, you will have to simplify. You'll have to create node and just try to, to say, okay, that's, that's a simplification of my model and I'm going to apply the laws of physics to every node of it. Well, think about quantum computers suddenly increasing by a million times the precision and the number of nodes you can do in your model. Well, that would give you much more accurate information about behaviors of aircraft or rockets, but it also speed up, increase drastically the ability to reach an answer in terms of, of design maturity or change of material, change of propulsion uh, for, for, for this industry. But it's true for many other industries. So in a nutshell, the question is down to how do you build such computer? And here there's multiple technologies. There's superconducting, there's ion trapped. IonQ is, is, is getting there, literally capturing ions. And, and using them as the qubits, because you want to be building what we call the perfect qubits. And, and back to nature and mother nature, they've offered us atoms and molecules that are perfect if you're able to control them. So that's the name of the game. And, and recently, INQ has met uh, announcement of you know, the next level and the next generation of, of computer. They've also, a few months ago, announced access to their system through the cloud via Amazon and, and, and Microsoft. Which means that as we speak, there are people playing with those, playing in a good sense, right? Playing and testing, running jobs on those systems to see what capability could actually be truly speed up, truly increased by the use of quantum computers. So one of the pivots that, that you are making is, is towards space. Was that what you were saying when you were talking about the Z-axis? So the, the Z-axis, back to the X, Y, Z, the Cartesian model, right, is this kind of backbone that we see from ground to deep space. So it's not just space. It's actually at every altitude, at every step of this backbone, new capability, hardware and software uh, intertwined and created new uh, vehicle, new system or new services. Uh, but it could be, you know, at the drone level, at the VTOL level, at the aircraft level, at the pseudo-satellite level, 
um, and then on low Earth orbit and and the virus orbit, we can we can reach. There is no real limit there. So we're looking at this entire space, which is bigger than aerospace, and we've seen that being applied now on the world of connectivity, the world of constellation of satellites. So communication for us on Earth will depend on capability and space-based assets. And in that vision, it's to us again, bigger than aerospace. And we crafted this notion of Z-space to say, this is a playground we're playing. So space is fully part of it, but it's bigger than that. One of the curiosities to me in space uh, is it's very obvious that an Airbus or a Boeing or a whatnot would be involved in developing space and space travel and that sort of thing. But it seems to me there's so much left to do in commercial aviation. Um, so many improvements that can be made just in, in my lifetime, the number of improvements that have been made in commercial aviation. Uh, why not just stick to that? Well, one does not exclude the other. For sure, we're seeing commercial aviation, uh, despite the COVID crisis, despite the fleet being granted, uh, looking at the future of sustainable aviation. The, 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 the idea of a hydrogen aircraft, the ability to uh, design a new vehicle to get from A to B uh, is at, at the core of the Boeing and the Airbus of the world. I mean, they are, they are looking at that right now. Airbus has just announced three concept planes um, and, and definitely getting the hydrogen routes and the hybrid routes. So I, I don't think one excludes the other. Uh, I think it's, it's very much now part of a system uh, we are thinking and seeing aircraft being part of a bigger, you know, network of capabilities. Satellite will talk to aircraft, aircraft to ground station, to cars, to your IoT device in your office. And all of that will be very soon seamlessly integrated alongside the Z-axis, this backbone I was mentioning earlier. So I think it's part of the same story. One of your investments is Impossible Aerospace, which is electric propulsion. Uh, you know, <laughs> I find it ironic, you know, they got Impossible in the in the name of their company. That seems impossible because then you're talking about batteries and batteries are crazy heavy. This company has at, at the core of its promise, the idea of kind of flipping the problem into the solution, right? The, the issue of a drone, if you ever use one, is after 20 minutes, you got to plug a new set of batteries, right? And, and most of the mission requires more than 20 minutes endurance. So by flipping the problem into a solution, by using the battery as the element of the structure, uh, that was an interesting approach to indeed what seemed to be an impossible problem to resolve. So, so I think that's exactly the type of thing we're looking into, into the company we choose. I mean, spin launch is another example. When you got to the rocket equation and you try to improve that rocket equation, you reach a certain limits. Right? And there's a certain impossible world. And if you don't challenge the, the equation to the core of it, like literally saying, I will remove the rocket from the rocket equation, which is what Spin Launch has done by putting kinetic energy as the alternative to chemical propulsion, then, then you, don't create, you don't create the next breakthrough. You don't push the envelope. Right? So I think that exactly the type of things we love to invest into. It's disruptive, it's bold. It's, it's novel, but this novelty should not be at the detriment of legacy. And the legacy for us is the laws of physics. We will not invent new laws of physics for the new entrepreneurs coming with ID to us. So we'll need to blend the two and make sure we find this intersection. But Spin Launch was very much a great example 
where during the diligence, it was impossible for us to find a single reason in the laws of physics for their prototype not to be able to scale. And it helps that you're also an aerospace engineer. Well, it does, but here when you, when you have this big chamber in front of you and you don't really have a book to look at because it's not a rocket, but it's achieved the same result. So that was quite fascinating to us. Let's talk about air travel for a minute. Are, are you still flying or, or are you, I mean, working for a company you have to or do you miss it? Well, I, I, I do not fly. And I think living in California, it's not just COVID and the shelter in place, but also the wildfire, taking care of the family. I mean, there's been a lot of reason for, for me personally, like a lot of people for, for, for not flying. And, and I truly miss it. I, I truly miss it because for me, this notion of, you know, expansion and travel and interaction with other human beings uh, it's, is essential. And, and I truly believe that we'll get back on aircraft that is for sure. I think we have to handle this crisis as a collective mind, as a collective force. Uh, it's not a U.S. problem. It's not a European problem. It's not a Chinese problem. I think it's our problem, and we have to fix it. I feel like I'd be missing out if I didn't ask an aeronautical engineer whose parent company is Airbus uh, for flying tips. Uh, and let me give you mine first. I, I bet yours is going to be better. But when I'm flying American, I always get f seat 7C, which is on the aisle. It's the first one in coach, so I'm not paying for business class. But when they close that curtain, I can kind of stick my feet underneath the curtain ahead of me without bothering anyone. And first class's uh, seats stick out a little, so I got an extra seat pocket. What, what do you look for? What, what, what can you give me as far as a flying tip goes? Well, excellent question. I haven't thought about this one at all. Uh, but, but let me share one tip that I found very uh, exciting when you bought an aircraft is let's have, let's have a conversation with someone you don't know. And we often get to our seat, we look at what we have to do, we get into this box, right? It's, it's us on 7C, right? But if you were to engage conversation with, you know, the captain, or the steward, or, or the person next to you, then, then the whole flying experience becomes very different. I know in the world of COVID, with a mask and everything, it feels like almost impossible, but, but I trust we'll get back to us interacting with each other, us exchanging the true diversity I've had so many great conversations in, in 10, 12, 15 hours flights that was, I was not prepared for and I learned from. And, and I think I probably shared also a little bit of my passion and, and what we do and in, in a very human way. So I don't know if it's a tip you're looking for, but we often forget that it's just not a collection of individual, but you know, we can, we can build more than that. Airbus Ventures, Thomas Delumont. Sandhill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.